if you want to create a ripple of change, you need to get your feet wet. So I hope you guys had a, had a good week. Um, the Rugby World Cup has ended, unfortunately for some of us. I got to go and see the trophy tour, at least some of it. I, I, I ran across to Bonteville and I got to see some of them. Um, and load shedding's back. <laughs> I don't know if you saw that clip, it seems like we exported load shedding to Europe. Did you see that? <laughs> yeah, that was, that was quite funny. But praise the Lord, we can be together. Special welcome to people who are here for the first time today. I think those are some Stellenbosch students. Mora. Welcome with us. Um, so glad you could join us. So, um, a few weeks ago we had a service with a difference. I know some of you weren't here. Um, where we had those engineers, EMI, come and meet with us. And um, they were here to, to help us find out what some of the things are that we really value as a church. Um, and so if you can recall back, I think it was three weeks back, they asked us a range of questions, if you can remember. Um, and so they asked things like, for those of you who weren't here, they asked things like, what in your experience are some things that we here at Pinelands Baptist Church do really well? Um, and what are some of the things that we believe God is saying to us about where he wants us to focus, possibly where he, where he sees us in the future? Um, where would we like to see more growth? Um, and what do we think PBC is known well for in our community? Those were some of the questions that we were asked to, to wrestle with. We broke into groups, and then we gave some feedback. And they asked us those things to help them learn about how best our facilities serve us. Um, so we're meeting here in the school hall, but we have a campus across the way. And so how well does our main campus, our buildings, our fixtures... Our offices, that's some of the things that relate to some of the questions that they ask. But more importantly, how do those things serve the ministry? How do those things um, help us to do what we believe God is calling us to do in this part of his vineyard? And what changes could be made to make us more effective in that, um, in that calling? And so what they did was they took all those answers that we gave to them um, from Explore, from Classic, from Evening. They took all of that stuff and they correlated it very nicely um, into graphs and figures. And, um, and they, in the week, the elders had a meeting with them again and they gave it back to us. And it was very interesting to see what some of the things are that we prioritize and that we really value as a church. And I wanted us to take a look at some of those things, um, because it relates in some way to the message from this morning. So, these were the outcomes. And these, so these points from one to six, they were not a list that was given to us and we were asked to put them in order. These were things that we gave to them as things that we prioritize. 
And so quite interestingly, the thing that we value most is mission and going. That's at the top of our list. And then secondly, there's welcoming and feeling safe. How's that? We really prioritize the fact that people feel welcome when they arrive here. Um, and then there was, quite interestingly, um, across all our congregations, um, a sense that intergenerational interactions are something that's really important to us, and we want to prioritize that. And then there was also just the fact that we aren't scared of new things, and so we like the fact that we are small enough to be able to move quickly when there's a need. And then there's God's presence, um, which in essence really flows throughout all of these things. And then diversity made it number six on a list, kind of almost on the same par there as God's presence. Those are the things that Pinans Baptist Church prioritizes. And it came from us. Um, now, it was also very interesting to see um, what we identified as some things that are hurdles to us or obstacles that get in the way of what we prioritize. And so this is the list of things. And right at the top of the list, have a look at that. <laughs> One of the things that gets in the way of us reaching goals is volunteer willingness. So we know that that is something that's going to get into the way of us really achieving what we believe God is wanting to do in us and through us here. And then there's time. People felt realistically that time was a factor. We felt even now post-COVID and all the lessons that we learned through COVID, it feels like time is still a factor for us, that we don't have the time to be able to invest from a personal perspective. And then there was finances on the same par as disagreement. Um, and then there was integrating diversity. That's just having, bringing different perspectives together in one space. Those are the things that we've identified that came from us, all of us, um, as things that might get into the, in the way of us reaching what God wants to do through us. Now, while it's quite clear that the things we listed as priorities are important to us, I would imagine that there are some of us here, um, visitors excluded, who haven't really gotten our feet wet in some of the actions that have led us to believe that those things are really important to us, for whatever the reason might be. And we have a range of reasons. So, for example, we identified missions and going. That's number one for us on the list. Um, now, if we were honest, we'd admit possibly that some of us here haven't really engaged in some of the things that would come under that heading, if we're honest with ourselves. We notice that diversity is important to us as well. It made it on the list, the top six. They limited it to six things. There were more, but the top six diversity made it on that list. But a number of us may not really have taken time to look into the journey that has led us to this point of valuing it in the way that we do. 
so that it actually is on the top six list of things that we value. And so um, maybe you're, you're with us, you feel you're part of us, and you're enjoying the sweet fruit of those things that we prioritize, but you haven't gotten your feet wet in the process that has led us to here today, for whatever reason. And so I want to lean into that, that welcoming safe element that we, that we listed there um, as one of our priorities and say that we want you to be involved. As someone who's on leadership, we want you to be involved. Um, and we want you to journey with us. So this morning I want to invite you to look with me at a very... Um, momentous story in the Old Testament. It was a moment when God was calling his people to step into something new. Um, and he was asking them effectively to get their feet wet. Um, and what we're going to read at the moment, just in context with Daniel, this happened about 950 years before Daniel. So there was a long journey that led us to what we are focusing on when Craig does come back. So the message that we're going to read comes from Joshua, a few, a few sections out of Joshua, Joshua chapter 3, and we'll touch into verse uh, chapter 4 as well. And the message of the book of Deuteronomy, which precedes Joshua, um, is effectively about what it takes for people with a faith to become people with a mission. And so here's the, the very brief context for what we're going to read. Um, the Israelites were in slavery in Egypt. God sent Moses to lead them out of slavery. And then God promised them a land um, where they could settle. They took 40 years to travel this, to this land could have taken them 11 days. And then most of that generation who were led out of Egypt, most of them actually died along that journey in that 40 years in the desert to here. So there's a mixture of some, a few people who were still there, that old remnant along with a new generation that we are going to engage with here now. So um, the generation that had died in the desert, they were believers of Yahweh. They, they, were, they were with him. Um, they had experienced him in the miracle um, that he had led them out of captivity. Um, they experienced his provision in the desert. Um, he's leading them, all of the things that he did along with them in that passage through the desert. But they acted in unbelief as we think about that story despite hearing God, despite seeing um, all of the things that he did, that pillar of cloud, the water, um, his provision of manna, all of those things, they still lived in, an, in, in, in a state of unbelief, um, knowing or understanding that God actually was with them, that he was going to go um, with them into this new space and lead them into something new. And so the question for them was, What's next? 
So we're going to read from Joshua chapter 3. We'll read a few sections out of it, and this is the first section um, from verses 1 to 8. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out of your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the ark. Do not go near it. 2,000 cubits is probably about 900 meters. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so that they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, When you reach the edge of the Jordan's water, go and stand in the river. Then we're going to jump down to verse 14, and we'll read um, three verses there, verses 14 to 17, which says, So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarathan. While the water flowing down to the Sea of the Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground, while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. And in the last bit, we're going to jump across to chapter 4, and we'll read the first seven verses then. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you, and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the twelve men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, 
the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So we'll stop there. I think that kind of gives us a, an idea of the whole scene of what's happening here as the Israelites arrive at the Jordan River. So at this stage, Moses had died, and Joshua had been appointed to lead the Israelites into the promised land. And they're camped at the, at the Jordan River, having made ready to cross, with the understanding that when they cross over the river, they are in the promised land. Um, their GPSs would say, you have reached your destination. The only problem was that the river was in flood at that time of year. It was probably around March or April, and the Jordan River had burst its banks, and the, the water is flowing fast, and the river is deep. I found a clip from someone had taken it in 2016 of what the, of what the Jordan looks like when it's in flood. So they arrive there on the side, and the river is in flood. So according to the Lord's command, the people were to consecrate themselves, from verse 5, and they were to be ready to move when they see the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant before them. And they needed to stay a, a fair distance away from the Ark as it was being carried. And it says there in the text that when the soles of the feet of the priests carrying the ark stepped into this river, the river would stop flowing and the water would be held up. I don't know what that would look like. Would it kind of like slide back or would it stop there and this little bit would, must have been quite a something to see. Um, and it would stop a distance away from them and they would be able to cross over safely. The picture that we have here reminds us of the time that the Israelites had to cross the Red Sea. Remember that? And Moses held up his arms, and the waters parted, and the people were able to cross over safely. Except here is the case where the priests had to step into the river. And so while the, the, the priests... Um, are standing in the water, the Israelites could cross, and when they had all crossed, the soles of the priests' feet were lifted up on dry ground. The waters of the Jordan returned to their place and again overflowed its banks as it was before. And this brings us to the first point of interest in this story. The Jordan was the boundary line between the wilderness and their promised land. It was the obstacle standing between the Israelites and the promised land. They had gone through 400 years of slavery, 40 years of wilderness wandering. All of that has brought them to this moment. They had hoped, they had walked, they had suffered, they had prayed, they had argued, they had cried, 
trusted. They were moments of regret. They had sinned, and they whined their way to this moment. And there was no low water crossing in sight. The river is 250 kilometers long. So they can't go around it. Um, there were no bridges to cross over it. The way is blocked. And the river appeared impassable. Wasn't a good time. Wasn't a good place to cross. Now, more often than not, that is how our personal Jordan rivers look, if you think about it. And you know, here God has chosen and brought Israel to this time and to this moment in this, at this place, even as God chooses and brings us to the time and the place for our own personal river crossings. Now, here's the truth that I think we take from that. The only way across the river is through the river. We've all heard that one before. There's no way around. We, we have to go through. Now, although our year is drawing to a close, there is a new season that lies ahead of us. And there is no way around that season and all of the challenges amongst the blessing that is within it. Currently now, as a church, we are talking about running two Alpha courses at Conradi next year. We are exploring how best we can develop the buildings that we have been given to steward in preparation for what we believe God is wanting to do in us and through us. There are certain ministries amongst us. We have ministry leaders that we want to see experience, seeing growth in the year that lies ahead. And there are new ministries that are waiting, that are budding, that we want to see growth in next year. Now, we can't fast forward or teleport to the end of all the challenges that are going to lie in front of us that need to be faced for us. We have to go through them. But you know what? We, we never go alone. God himself goes into that river with us. He is, let us not forget, He is the God of water crossings. God was there as Noah drifted across the flood waters that swept away the old and receded to reveal a new world, a new life, a new relationship. We remember that story well. God, um, He was there when He wrestled with Jacob in the night, blessed him, renamed him, and then watched him limp across the Jabbok River with a new identity, which was Israel. God called his people out of bondage in Egypt and through the Red Sea to a journey of salvation. God was also present in your own personal river crossings. I have some of my own. And I'm quite sure that you have some of yours too. 
every river crossing is an act of God's faithfulness as he walks with us. And so the only way across the river is through the river. We each have a Jordan River that must be crossed. And there's usually in our lives more than one. It seems that the life of faith, this life that we live, is a life of a series of river crossings, as it were. And so in those moments, like Israel, we stand at the edge of the Jordan. And the only way into the promised land is through the floodwaters of life. And so as we stand there, even today, we ask, how deep is it? Now, how, how solid is the bottom? Is it slippery? Can I take my child? Is the water cold? Because it looks cold from here. How strong is the current? That current looks really strong. How far across is it? Is it just a straight shot or do we have to counter for the current? What will we find when we arrive on the other side? Those are all really good questions that we wrestle with. And I'm sure the Israelites in that moment would have asked similar questions. In some way, those are the questions of life that we wrestle with. And we'll only know the answer to those questions when we get our feet wet. But ultimately, however, it is God, not the answers, who takes us across our Jordan. And so the Israelites, they, they cross over the river. And while the priests were standing in the water, um, and when... And when they had all crossed and the souls of the priest, as it says there, were lifted up on dry ground, the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and they overflowed all its banks as before. And as we think about that, another, another thought comes to us, I think. And it's the fact that God didn't hold back the water for the people of Israel before they put their feet in. It is only after they stepped into the water that God acted. And so you've got to get your feet wet. <laughs> Keeps coming back to that point. You know, the waters do not part until we step out in faith. Until our feet are dipped in that seemingly impossible river. Because God can only work with what we give him in our own lives. Standing on the bank and waiting for answers to some of those questions, waiting for a better time, waiting for a better place, or waiting for the flood to, to subside, offers God very little to work with in that moment. And so that first step, however, gives God something to work with. He requires movement from us. Just one step. And as soon as Israel's feet were dipped in the edge of the water, as it says there, God acted and the flowing waters stood still. There was dry land and all the people crossed over. Even when we consider what 
Jesus said to his disciples, it concerned moving. Jesus said, follow me. He is calling for movement on our part. And so we all have that one step, that first step that needs to be taken. And so maybe we ask ourselves the question this morning. What is that first step for you? What is that first step for me? As I think about life, um, I recognize the fact that there are many first steps. And there are probably as many first steps as there are circumstances in life. And maybe the first step for us where we are at, maybe the first step for you where you are at, means to offer someone forgiveness. Maybe the first step for you this morning revolves around reconciliation. Maybe your one step is to let go of anger, or maybe your one step this morning is to let go of resentment. And maybe your life feels as unmanageable as those waters feel this morning. Let me say to you again, as it comes from this story, take that step. Get your feet wet. Well, sometimes the first step is to simply be quiet, to be still, and to listen. And perhaps yours is to let go of having to be right or having to be in control. Uh, maybe it means you no longer let fear dominate your life. And perhaps the first step for you is to risk intimacy or to risk vulnerability. Maybe for you this morning that one step is taking responsibility for something. Just that. And so again, let us step out in faith. Let us get our feet wet. Even as we bring this year to a close and as we think about what the next leg of our journey looks like. That's at a personal level. What about corporately? Yeah, church. What does that look like for us here as individuals being part of this body? Perhaps it means for you thinking about membership. Perhaps that could be your first step. Maybe it's getting involved in one of those ministries that we have. You know, we have, Andrea has been advertising for the longest, and it's something that we have in all of our congregations. You know, this willingness to volunteer. Andrea has been, um, on occasions, been inviting people to get their feet wet, and it's been difficult. It's been hard. And so, maybe that could be where you're at this morning as it relates to us as a body as a group of people who Jesus has called together here now for this time, for this season. I want to make one last point and then we'll draw to a close. When the Israelites had set up camp after having crossed the river, God commanded the Israelites to take 12 stones out of the river and then to place them where they were camping. And the 12 stones were meant to be a memorial. Um, and God said in chapter 4 and verse 6, let me remind you, he said, to serve as a sign among you. 
in the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. Now, this is an aerial picture of the site that is believed to be right there where the Israelites crossed over. Um, we, and um, we notice there, it seems like there's an altar in the middle. Right there, there's an altar. Um, this used to be, it is believed, archaeologists think this was a place of worship. And this would have been where sacrifices would have been made, over there. And we notice that it's in the shape of a foot. Do you see that? Now, quite interestingly, there have been a number of sites found like this, and they all roughly have the shape of a foot. And it is believed that it relates to Deuteronomy chapter 11 and verse 24, which says, Every place where you set your foot will be yours. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the Euphrates River to the Mediterranean Sea. God is a God who is into remembering. We see him in, at several times in the Old Testament when he moves in extraordinary ways. He tells his people, stop, build an altar, build a memorial here. I want you to remember this. And when we look at the, the way God organizes the nation of Israel, he organizes and structures them actually around feast days, moments to stop whatever you're doing and to celebrate. And so, and so the Jews have the Feast of Pentecost, Feast of Tabernacles, they've got Feast of Passover, Unleavened Bread, the Feast of First Fruits, the Feast of Trumpets, the Feast of Atonement. All of these are, in essence, memorials, moments to stop and to remember what God had done for them. And so these feast days, they weren't just holidays or holy days. They were times for celebration. They were times to reflect back on specific faithful moves of God so that they would remember who God is and what God is capable of doing. And for us, even the Lord's Supper and baptism, they are also ways that help us to stop and to remember and to reflect and proclaim what Jesus has done for us. And so remembering is important. Remembering helps us build hope. It helps us build faith. Remembering the faithfulness and the goodness of God gives us the confidence to step out and get our feet wet. As we know, our national rugby team, the Springboks, just won the World Cup. Um, as I mentioned, I went to Bonteville on Friday, and I, I saw the trophy. 
with my own eyes. But you know, on that trophy that is being paraded, I think today is the last day, there's a little plaque on it. We've all seen it, I think. And on it, there's an inscription that marks the years, years, when South Africa won the tournament, four of them. (laughs) Now, that inscription serves as a reminder, not only to the rest of the world, but also to us, that amidst all of the things that are going wrong in our country, and there are many, We have evidence there that we can be stronger together, to borrow that phrase. And so from that, we can have hope. We can have faith in the God who we call on when we cry out to Him. It is evidence for us. And so it reminds us that the potential for us to be victorious, even in other spheres of society, in our country, in our province, in our communities, in Pinelands, the potential for victory is here. Even if we scrape by just with one point, it is possible. And so remembering and bearing witness is a powerful way to communicate hope. And so the story of Israel's entry into the promised land ends there. Um, But it is also more than just an end of a journey. For them, it is the start of something new. And I want to say to you this morning, even as we come to the end of our year, there's a new season that waits for us. And God is eager to walk with us into whatever rivers lie within that year that follows on ahead of us. And we can have hope and we can have faith that He is with us.